Mac Power Users, Episode 715, To Gridfinity and Beyond. Hey everybody, it's David Sparks. I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett, who is back in his studio. Did your studio have a name, Stephen? It's the Pod Cabin. The Pod Cabin. How could I forget that? Yeah, Stephen's back in his Pod Cabin uh, with us, having successfully uh, done a big job for St. Jude and a bunch of other stuff. Are, are you drowning in calendars at this point, Stephen? I would uh, I imagine you just like buried in piles of calendars. Yeah, I got calendars and shipping material. Uh, stuff's going to start going out later in the week. So it's, uh, it is a busy time around here. I had kind of forgotten about it. And I came home from vacation and opened the door. I was like, oh, yeah, you're waiting for me. <laughs> it's like, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, either way, we are the Mac Power Users. It's time for a feedback episode. We've got a lot of feedback from the listeners and some other stuff to talk about that's going to be fun today. Uh, on more power users, which is the ad-free uh, extended version of the show, I'm going to be doing a check-in on my Mac Studio. Now that I've uh, been using it a while, I have thoughts. So we'll be talking about that. If you want to check that out, you can learn more at relay.fm slash MPU. But I think, Stephen, we should just jump into it, man. Let's let's hit it. That sounds good. Let's start with some listener feedback. Uh, we had a note from Jan directed towards me about my... Uh, backup strategy. I had mentioned uh, at some point on the show that my MacBook Pro would wake up every night and then run a backup. And Jan wanted to know how I was going about that. And uh, I'm using the excellent Carbon Copy Cloner. Uh, there are a couple of great backup utilities for the Mac. SuperDuper is the other one. I think they're sort of the the best two, uh, at least at least in my experience. But Carbon Copy Cloner is the the one that I use, and it is uh, really full featured. And I'll have a screenshot in the show notes of what my backup they call them a task, but what the task looks like. And the uh, the trick is if you go into sort of the the scheduling section, is you have some options. And so I have mine set to run daily at two a.m. and if the uh, system is asleep, and my Mac Pro does go to sleep after a little while when it's plugged into my display, it will wake the system, mount the drive, do the backup, and then go back to sleep. But if the system is off, then you know it won't. And obviously, it won't do it. Um, and there's a lot of customization in Carbon Copy Cloner about how you want it to. Uh, how you want it to work. And so it's uh it's really pretty awesome. I keep the drive ejected. You know, I never I never see the drive. Uh it is just uh kind of hanging out invisibly and it mounts it when it needs it and ejects it when it uh when it doesn't. So you have lots of options and uh I will have also in the show notes a support document, a couple support documents on their website that talk about some of the scheduling options and some of the things you can do. There's a lot of a lot of switches you can flip in Carbon Copy Cloner to get it to work the way that you want it to. Uh, but it's all within the app. I'm not doing any, you know, sort of Apple scripty stuff or anything like that. It it all just kind of is within the application. And that's uh that's how I prefer it. Yeah, I do the same thing, Carbon Copy Cloner. I use Super Duper for years, and then at some point. I don't even remember why I ended up switching over to Carbon Copy Cloner. 
The other thing you can do with carbon copy cloner, if you're crazy like me and you have a big SSD with most of your data on it, is it makes it really easy to make a differential backup. Yes. So if you've got like a spinning drive that you just want to back up your entire drive to, a carbon copy cloner, you plug it in, it looks at the drive, it looks at what's on your existing drive and what's on the backup, and it just adds whatever it needs. It mm-hmm. doesn't take long. That's how that's how mine runs at night. Yeah, and you do it like monthly. And I've got a couple spinning drives like that that I, I keep one off-site and one local and uh, just plug those in. Then when I get the off-site one back, I swap them. And Carbon Clappy Cloner is also very good for that. Um, but the advantage uh, for me is that it's all on one drive, so that makes it easier. If you are not uh, going to have it all on one drive and you're going to work off multiple drives, uh, there's a great app called Chronosync, which I believe is part of Setup, but don't quote me on that. I didn't look it up. But the Chronosync will uh, allow you to grab data from multiple drives and do a similar action where mm-hmm. it looks at a diff. So. Uh, a couple different ways to do that, but yeah, carbon copy cloner for the win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super duper is is great. I think they had some issues a few years ago uh, keeping up with some of the changes, and there have been changes. I think we talked about this last time on the on the feedback episode about how a truly bootable backup is not really a thing anymore. But this does what I want it to do, and that it puts all of my data on a drive that you know, it's separate from time machine, like separate drive, separate enclosure. It's still on my desk, right? So if lightning hits the pod cabinet, it burns the ground. This particular drive is not going to be very helpful, uh, but yeah. that's how I'm doing it. And uh, it's, um, it's a solid app. I've used, I've used Karma Copy Cloner. Like it's been around forever. It's great. Yeah. Uh, it's always good to have one off site. Uh, uh, I also have a subscription to the uh, backup service. Whose name escapes me? Backblaze. They were, they were, yeah, they were back. They were a sponsor at one point, but I've been a subscriber for years, and uh, so that stuff is getting backed up offsite. And yep. then the little spinning drive is also nice. I can just go get it. It's with a family member if there's a problem. Uh, I do encrypt it. Is that uh, is that paranoid? I, I encrypt I it back. I don't think so. I mean, if someone yeah. else gets a hold of that drive, you don't yeah. want them plugging it in and seeing your data. Yeah, that's true. Like I trust my family, but if someone got it, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I encrypt it and, and just use carbon copy cloner to make it. And that's really, I guess that we just did a backup summary of, of what we're doing these days. Right. I mean, think so. oh, uh, do you, you also run time machine, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Time machine's my, my first line of defense. Yeah. Although it's funny, I almost never use it. Maybe once a year I pull a file out of time machine, but mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's pretty convenient once a year. Yeah, the way I think about about backups is they're kind of like seat belts and airbags, right? Like, yeah, I had never used an airbag before until this year when I rolled my truck over. It's like I'm really yeah. glad they were there, right? They saved my yeah. life, and so yeah. that's how I think about backups, right? They're they were there, uh, just like I when I get in my car, I buckle the seat belt. Same thing with these backups, right? It's been a long time since I've had to truly recover from a disaster. But, you know, my computer's full of family photos and work and all of these things. It's it's very important to me that this data is safe. And so this this multi-tier backup is definitely the way to go. Yeah. The uh, you know, the old three, two, one. Old old time listeners will know this one, but we've talked about it before. You need at least three copies 
in at least two different mediums with at least one offsite. If you follow those rules, you're good. Although the two different mediums, I don't think matter as much anymore. That was back when people were using yeah. like CDs and tapes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that, that part was a little old. I'm not backing up yeah. on a tape. Uh, although a lot of that stuff is still out there in like corporate environments, but uh, yeah. at our level, you know, some SSDs and spinning drives are fine. Yeah. But you know, SSDs and spinning drives have a lifespan and, uh, spinning drives in particular, if that's what you're using for your offsite stuff, you got to keep track of them and replace them, you know, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. The good news is they're super cheap. I was at Costco. There's like two five terabyte drives for a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you can get it. It's not, it doesn't cost a lot. No, it's, it's come. I, it's I just come don't like down. to think about what I spent on my, on my internal drive, but well, that's, we'll save that for more power users. That's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm cheap too. Yeah, know, like but e- even SSDs have come down. And look, I mean, it's the fall, like Cyber Monday, Black Friday, all that stuff's coming up. And uh, you can find good deals on SSDs now. It's it's not as prohibitive as it used to be. They are still more expensive than spinning drives. But for me, the speed and the silence and the longevity, like you said, they will all fail eventually. Everything does. But... Generally, SSDs are going to be much more performant, much longer. And so, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent. Yeah, yeah, me too. Eventually, everything goes SSD, right? Um, but for me, though, like these offsite backups are, are still just spinning drives. But uh, I like to record on my desk, and I don't want things making noises. So SSDs are really good for that. Mm-hmm. Moving on, Rhett wrote in to share. I wrote a Python library and command line tool for working with Apple Notes. This allows you to script notes using Python instead of Apple Script. It also allows you to create notes from the terminal. I spend most of my time in Mac OS in the terminal. I wanted a way to quickly create a new note, query note. And he gave us a link. We're going to put it in there. Um, Rhett's uh, GitHub for the Mac Notes app Python library. I thought people may want that the automators out there. And we have a show upcoming all about Apple notes. If you're doing interesting things with Apple notes, let us know, but don't wait long. Cause we're going to record soon. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. There's a, there's a feedback form on the website and uh, drop us uh, either questions about Apple notes, things you'd like to see, or if you're doing some cool stuff with it, we'd like to collate all that. Yeah. That's coming soon though. So don't, don't hold back. And if it's breaking for you or if there's a friction point, just let us know in general. Both Stephen and I have been really kicking the tires on it lately, and I think there's there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Lewis wrote in, David, you recently mentioned your conversation, your conversion to SparkMail. My test of SparkMail, I want to be clear, Lewis, test, not conversion. I have long been looking for an email client, but I've always been daunted moving from Apple Mail. Do you have any further views on Spark? Is it only for power users? Are you comfortable with the security they provide? I saw some people had concerns about their how their data is handled. Spark Mail to me, I wanted to try it because they have, they recently did a big redesign and changed a bunch of things. So that was interesting to me that they tried to change the paradigm. And I've, I've always struggled with email. I get a lot of email as Max Sparky and I want to keep up with it. And it's hard. It's just, I don't know how else to put it, you know, and especially when people ask me for help with something and it's like, suddenly I'm in a, you know, troubleshooter mode and, that stuff takes time, and I do try to help, but I can't help everybody. But the uh, either way, so I struggle with email, so I'm always looking for a new way out. The thing that attracted to me at Lewis was they've got a new paradigm for email. It feels very similar to Hey for me. Like 
you know, it's like this unified system and, you know, it just got a lot of the same ideas that Hay has, which is another kind of revolutionary email service that, mm-hmm. that we tried here about a year and a half ago. I didn't, I used it for a month and it's good, but it didn't solve my underlying problem that I get too much email and it's hard to keep up with it. And ultimately I went back to Apple mail. Uh, security is part of the reason I know Apple spends a lot of time on security, although I didn't really bump into any real security problems with spark. It seemed fine, but it's just a different paradigm, which is fine. But I wanted something that I can Apple script because I have got a lot of automation built into Apple mail that I've put together myself or with the help of others. And every time I try these third party apps, they're just not quite there, you know? And, uh, I think, you know, one of the lessons I tried to learn from the spark mail experiment was that changing the tool isn't going to fix the problem for me. It's a more fundamental thing about me and email. And I just have to change the way I deal with email. I'm working on that. People in the labs know I've released a couple of videos lately about kind of like trying to be more contextual with it and, and trying to, you know, just kind of generally change my attitude towards email. I'm not, my job is not to answer email. uh, Although that's a, a small part of my job, but if all I do is answer email, then, the whole thing comes tumbling down. So uh, I struggle with it and I keep thinking there's some magical app out there that's going to fix it for me. And it's <laughs> not the, it's not the app, you know? Yeah. And we all experience that, right? <laughs> yeah. We just want an app that's just going to make it easy. And it, right. it, it's not the app. When I feel the most overwhelmed is when I think about changing task managers, that's a bad, bad habit. Um, a couple, couple things to add here. Uh, I'm putting in the show notes, their privacy page. They are, connecting to your email service with a token. So they don't actually have your password to your Google account or iCloud account or whatever, but they are doing server-side processing for some of their features. So you can go through there and, and make that decision. They do have uh, pretty robust and I think simple tools to remove all of your data from their servers, which I appreciate. But Mike and Carrie, so my business partner and our chief re- advertising officer at Relay, yeah. Uh, Carrie, who was on the show earlier this year, they use Spark because of the feature that you can have like a sidebar conversation with team members that is not in the email. So before this, like a sales thing would be going on and they would like take a screenshot of it and put it in Slack and then talk about it. And, And that's not super efficient. And now they can have a conversation just basically in, in a, literally like in a sidebar about what's going on that the other person on the other end of the email has no idea what's happening. And for them, that is a a killer feature. Now, that's just one of the many things Spark can do, but it's one of the things that I think only Spark has. And so it is uh, pretty clever. But yeah, go check out their support page and stuff if you have questions about the privacy. I do know the Mac version got redesigned and it, it... it's modern, like in all the good and bad ways. And I don't think the iPhone and iPad version have been fully redone yet. I think they're kind of midway there. But it is sort of a, you've used it more recently than I have, but it, it, it's more like an email system than an email client, right? Like Mail and MimeStream are email clients, right? They have their opinions about things and do things in a certain way. But Spark does so much stuff on top of email you're kind of putting a layer above it. And if that layer makes sense to you, then Spark is great. If it doesn't or it gets in your way, 
I think her traditional male client is still a better fit for a lot of people. Yeah. In fact, that was one of the big reasons I wanted to try it was because I thought, well, I could also do better collaboration with my team members and that would help me make, get better at email. But it really, it, it just didn't land for me. And I'll tell you, the, the redesign is the reason I was interested in it because it is a different take on it. And I think sometimes maybe the problem with email is that we think about it wrong. That's definitely one of my problems. And, uh, so maybe a different app will get my mind in a different space about email, but it just, you know, it was, it was good, but it just didn't really land for me. And part of it is also habit. I've been using Apple mail forever and mm -hmm. I have wired that thing up to the gills and my stream deck and all my, you know, various automation tasks right. are very powerful in Apple mail. So I'm very fast at it. Like I was looking at, um, there's one called, I think super genius, and it's uh, like all the, you know, all the alpha nerds use super genius. Uh, Superhuman, like, maybe. Superhuman, yes. There you go. Thank you, Stephen. And it's like 30 bucks a month. And it's like a serious, like email for serious people. And I watched <laughs> a couple of videos of people using it. I'm like, all that stuff I can do in Apple Mail. It's yeah. not, you know, you know, I, I've, because of automation skills, I've been able to do that, you mm -hmm. know, make it work better. But, but I, I have been more aggressively using Text Expander and, and changing up the way I do email a bit to get better at it. But that was a, a month long journey that led me to the conclusion. I need to just change my attitude about email, not change my email um, uh, application. That plus same box, same box helps too. you know, same box. Yeah. Same box is a, is a total lifesaver. Um, and for me, I've been really happy with MimeStream, but all of my email accounts are Gmail based. I've got a Gmail account and then two yeah. G Suite, Google Apps, Google Workspace, whatever they're calling it today. And uh, and I think they have you know other account types on their roadmap, but they haven't done it yet. But I've been really happy with it. And one of my favorite things about it, I thought about it as you said, mail's kind of wired into all your stuff. Uh, MimeStream has this really cool feature where you can have keyboard shortcuts like Apple mail does or like Gmail does. So if you're using Gmail on the web a lot and you like those shortcuts, you can do it. But I've used Apple mail for like 400 years. And so I have the keyboard shortcuts set to that. So send is command shift D. I don't even have to think about it. Right? I just know what it is. Yeah. And I love that little feature in MimeStream because they knew, okay, people are going to be coming from other places. And if we can just use those shortcuts and not have to learn more, it's so it's so much faster. I heard the Mimestream guy interviewed one point saying that his next target is Fastmail that he wants to put, you know, because Fastmail is also using a proprietary or not proprietary, but a different IMAP service. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wants to try and plug Mimestream into that. And that could be the app that pulls me away from Apple Mail. If yeah. Mimestream gets Fastmail support. Um, that would be really impressive. And just, I guess, just to close, to go a little deeper on this, um, we're not going to do a, an email show anytime soon, but one of the things I've been trying to do is get more contextual. When Merlin guested on the show the week you missed, um, I can't remember if he told me this during the episode or we talked about it during our friend call before. I, I don't remember, but at one point he said, organizing your email is like alphabetizing your recycling which was, you know, a perfect Merlin saying, right? It just like cuts deep and it, it really is very visual. And you're like, oh yeah, man, I can't organize my email. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, 
that was one of my problems is I needed more organization in my email. I'm trying to get it where stuff related to the labs is in one bucket and stuff related to the field guides and stuff related to the podcast are all in different buckets because I found myself getting jerked around when I was going through email. Like, oh, now I got to deal with labs admin. Now I got to deal with a customer support. Now I got to deal with a guest management. Whereas I realized if I could just keep those in separate buckets, that would be better. You know, that way my brain could stay in podcast mode or labs mode or whatever, mm. which, you know, people listening are like saying, this guy's an idiot. Of course you organize your email, but the, um, but I was trying to get more efficient to avoid that. But, but what I'm doing with Samebox now is I've made those buckets into Samebox smart folders and it's only been a two week process, but it's getting pretty smart at sorting the stuff related to the different areas in my life into the different buckets, which is kind of cool having a robot do that for you. Yeah, that, that's one reason I have two separate work email accounts. I've got my Relay FM one, and then I have one for basically everything else. So, like any yeah. consulting I do, 512 Pixel stuff, YouTube stuff, it all goes to an email at hackit.fm. And that's sort of enough to keep them separate. And I have a few mail folders for like really important things I want to find quickly, but those change over time. So for instance, I actually just cleared out. I had a folder called iPhone 15 event that I just had like trip emails and emails with Apple PR, some other things related to that trip, just so they don't be in all one place. And then just the other day I removed that label and those things are now just in the archive for, uh, for search. This episode of MPU is made possible by Text Expander. The Text Expander, you get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. Because with the Text Expander, your team's information is always at their fingertips. It doesn't matter what app they're in, what device they're on, because Text Expander works everywhere they work, including Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. With Text Expander, you get your whole team onto the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone who needs to use it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers, and they're not spending time reinventing the wheel. So here's how it works. First, you store it. Keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, and URLs right within Text Expander, And then you can share it with your whole team getting access to all the content they need to use. Organize it by department and then expand it. Deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps you use. We use Text Expander here at Relay FM, and honestly, we would not be able to do our work efficiently without it. We have all sorts of collections in there. We have sponsor names. I have a bunch of stuff for membership, so common URLs or phrasing I need to use and support. It's all in Text Expander, and it's with me wherever I go. Show listeners will get 20% off their first year. So go to textexpander.com slash MPU. There you can learn more and sign up. And once again, you'll get a sweet 20% off your first year at textexpander.com slash MPU. Our thanks to TextExpander for their long support of Mac Power users. Go check them out. Tony wrote in the recent comment about the difference between a note and a document or file, uh, but you gave up making that distinction though you used to perhaps two, four minutes of chatting on the mindset there. I have the same dilemma. What's a note? When should it go to pages in theory? 
My mind says and notes is today's version of a document folder organized with subfolders, but now I can just see it all in one view. Well, I, I think for me, I mean, I, I grew up with the computer revolution. So the very first thing you wrote on on a computer was a word processor. Mm-hmm. Notes actually were not the big unit of writing on a computer at the beginning because everybody saw computers as digital typewriters. And and you know, I know there were notes apps back then, but it wasn't I was there, I'll tell you. Everybody was looking at WordPerfect and you know, you know, Mac Write and all these apps that were coming out to write with and the the ultimate goal of it was the printed page. You turned it in to your uh, your boss, your professors, whoever, but you were writing documents on these computers. And then at some point, you know, notes started to creep in. And I feel like at another point, notes took primacy. Like who prints out papers now? Like kids in school file their Google Docs with their teacher by a certain hour. They never see a printer. And I think also in a lot of private industry and companies, people don't print as much. And you don't have to write me to tell me that you print every day. I get it. But there are a lot of people these days that just don't do that. My wife works with a big company and they have one printer on an entire floor because they don't print that much. You know, the company has really embraced kind of a paperless workflow and that's just the way it is. And I think that's, that's true for a lot of people. So that that's a big cultural shift that's happened. when I look at the difference between documents versus notes, docs for me are, are, are things I print out and hand to somebody, right? Notes to me also, as we've seen with the PKM revolution can be much more granular and Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's the thing that people are getting more into now is to realize that it doesn't have to be 3,000 words. It could be a couple sentences. I mean, I was looking at, I've got a note in Obsidian. Um, Wayne Shorter says, you know, Jazz says, I dare you. That's all the note says. And it's something I want to expand upon at some point, but that's all there is in there now. And that's a note. And that's one more component of my note system. And that's the beauty of it, right? You can just write little things down and the computer remembers it for you. And then suddenly you can make connections and do things with it later. Mm -hmm. But I feel like um, notes have kind of taken over from documents. Yeah. I think what you said about the historical context is super interesting. I mean, how far the document model has come. Like we're looking at a Google Doc right now and it's broken into eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. (laughs) <laughs> right like yeah, i think you could turn that ridiculous. off but yeah. it is it's really i think only in the the last few years where that's really broken down to uh hey this is just a text box or like in a lot of apps uh like uh, let's take craft or notion for instance it's basically just a canvas it's not even a page anymore and it's up to you as the user uh, what you want there, right? We did that whole episode on Freeform that I think kind of takes this idea maybe to its conclusion at this point. I think for me, basically everything's a note and I'm only like crafting a document when I care about the output, right? If I'm, like you said, sending it to the one printer on the network or I'm making a PDF to, you know, I don't know, send out to a bunch of other parents at school and they may print it, but... I think the distinction is 
I don't think it's that, that important. Like, you know, I think about the output and Apple makes it really easy to go from notes to pages now. And, uh, it is interesting, but I don't think it's anything. Um, it doesn't keep me up at night kind of worried about, Oh, did I start this in the wrong place? I also think though, that we are precious nerds. Like there are people listening to the show. I was one of these people a few years ago where I was printing out stock certificates and agreements and court filings. And so different, you know, people in different businesses, print all the time and they still need a way for that printed document to look good and follow the rules of whoever's reading it. And those are still important things, but all the action, it feels to me like are in notes, like, and even people who do have to print out fancy documents, notes are such a good tool that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And, um, and using things like obsidian or even Apple notes with my law practice just gave me a way to make the actual document creation faster, more efficient, and ultimately better. Yeah, I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then the, the related question is always, well, how do you de- determine between tasks and calendar items? Oh, I feel like boy. That this is the spicy one for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, have a, I have something to say about it if you want, but... Uh, you know, is it tough for you? I mean, do you have, are you struggling with this? What's going on? Uh, no, no, I, I feel, I feel very strongly that my method is right. So, okay. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, right. So everything for me is a task in my task manager. And I only put on my calendar blocks of time to work on something either a, when it's with somebody else, right? So record MPU is every Tuesday at 1130. But if I need or if I want to set time aside for a specific task, like say that I have a a video that I'm going to work on or an article that I'm editing, I may put a couple of hours on Thursday afternoon that says, hey, you know, complete article. But that's rare for me. Usually I have on my calendar just these these times where I have to do something with other people or have to be in an appointment or something. And then the, all that open time is where I go into my task manager and do what I need to do for the day. Um, I don't time block. I don't do those sorts of things. And that works well for me because I live and die by my task list. But I know people like our friend Jason Snell, he just puts everything on his calendar, right? If he's got to write a column, it just becomes a calendar event. That's when he does it. And both are legitimate. But for me, uh, I, I'm definitely, definitely task first calendar second yeah i mean the thing about it is i've been thinking about this a lot lately i guess i should i can share uh, the next field guide is going to be about productivity i've been working on it for like seven years and i keep stopping and starting i've decided okay i'm going to finish this damn thing but one of the big points I, I like to make in it and the labs people have already heard me preach about this but tasks are infinite and time is finite and i think that is the sticky point between that question. Everybody always asks that, you know, what do you do with your task list with your calendar? And to me is you have to acknowledge that you can have an unlimited task list, but you don't have unlimited time. Hmm. And if you can accept that, some people don't, you know how people don't accept it. They start the day with like 20 tasks, each of which takes eight hours. And then they get to the end of the day and they didn't finish any of them. And they're mad at themselves. That's when you don't accept the right. time is finite, right? Um, but I feel like to me, the task list is like 
that's the thing that I look at to decide what I'm going to do. And the calendar is what I decide what's important enough to do today. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. You just like, you pull some stuff out of that task list. You're like, this is legitimately going to take three hours. So I'll put a block on for three hours and that thing will be done and it'll be off the task list. I don't think about how much stuff is on the task list because it doesn't matter. That's it's infinite. You know, modern software, you can load it up. Uh, What I do think about is what's important enough to get on the calendar today and over the course of the next week. And, and I do some of that blocking like you do. I do more than you do, but, but I don't go crazy. I don't put blocks in there when I'm going to go take a pee. You know, some people (laughs) do that. That's nuts. Um, But I do block out the important stuff and that way it gets done. And then it's like a commitment, you know, um, it's an appointment with yourself. Like, just like if you make an appointment, if I make an appointment with you to, to meet you and, and talk to you, I'm going to show up. Well, if I make this appointment with myself to do this thing, then I'm going to show up or reschedule it if I have to. But the, um, but I, I think the, the relationship can be, uh, mutually beneficial between tasks and calendars, but you have to come at it with some logic and with some discipline. And it's going to be different for all sorts of people, right? I mean, I was thinking about back when I had day job, the whole company ran by calendar. So like all our meetings were there. And if I was going to spend an hour catching up on email, I would put an hour on my calendar called admin time. So other people didn't put things there for me, right? Invite me to meetings or calls or whatever. And so it's definitely contextually sensitive, I think. And even between me and you, my guess is that I have more that has to be done on a set day, just uh, business-wise, right? Because yeah, like sure, 50 people working at Relay now or whatever. It's You're like got a lot network. of stuff going on. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so for me, you know, for me to like sit down and like, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I, I know people who do who sit down their tasks every morning, but like, these are the four things I'm going to do today. And I put them on my calendar and like the others can wait. I, if there's a due date to a task, it's there for a reason. And I think that's goes into my thinking where the, the task list is king, at least in, in my little world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like yours is uh, probably got more moving parts than mine does. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the beauties of the changes I've made in my life. Yep. <laughs> but I do that. I actually do sit down on Sunday and say, okay, what do I really want to get done this week? And how am I going to pull it off? And, and even with my life that's simpler than yours, I still don't pull it all off and make mistakes. And we all struggle with this stuff. There's no magic cure, right? Yeah. There's nothing that's just going to solve it for you. But but I do think a healthy understanding of um, the infinite versus the finite and, and tasks versus time can really help you approach it differently. Where, uh, I mean, so much of this stuff is perception and expectations where we put these expectations on ourselves. You look at a task list, you're like, I can do all this stuff. Well, you actually can't. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you that when they put me in the ground, there'll still be unfinished tasks in my task manager. And that's okay. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do what I can with the time I have and, and choosing what that is, is one of the tricks. <laughs> it's a D trick, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, and you know, saying no to a bunch of stuff it doesn't matter, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it it is tough, but yeah, I, I don't know. We kind of went off a little bit of a deep end there. But That's a feedback episode, you know. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and I think in either conversation, we're talking tasks versus calendar or notes versus docs. I think the balance is up to you and your individual situation, but also think the organization of those things is as well, right? So like I have a, ca- a personal calendar and a work calendar, and then we have an assortment of, of family calendars. But I know that because we've talked about it, that you've got more calendars. You're, you're much more specific about what goes onto what calendar. And, you know, I may have way more task lists than you do, or I may organize my notes differently than you. And again, that's something you kind of got to figure out as you go. But it, it is something else that I think, you know, nerdy people like to get, uh, get worked up about. Yeah, exactly. My calendar situation has changed a little bit. Do you want a quick update? Yeah. Because we've moved, uh, uh, JF is the guy who helps me with the most stuff. And we moved a bunch of that over to Notion. So my production and publication schedule is in a shared Notion database. And that has its own calendar showing release dates and, and event dates. So I've been going to that so often that I realize that I don't need the separate uh, event calendars. You know how I had the full day uh, calendar events, the planning calendars. Mm-hmm. Those are in Notion now. So I've stopped using them. I just turned them off uh, over the weekend. Uh, I haven't given up on them entirely. I'm, I'm going to see how it goes if I just don't use them for a month. Uh, but I'm using the the standard calendars. Like I need to be on this call at this time and I'm going to work on this project at this time. But the actual planning full day event calendars might be going away. We'll see. Because I, I was duplicating effort with that stuff already being in Notion. Sure. And Notion is where other people can make changes. So that's the one that's really the truth, the source of truth for that stuff. So then I don't see a point of having you know, the others. Yeah. But uh, I am always trying stuff out and trying to figure out a way to make this thing work easier, faster, mm-hmm. and more efficiently. Yeah, well, I think, I think that move to Notion for some of that stuff is like the perfect example of what we're talking about, where it's got to work contextually, right? I have... Yeah a bunch of stuff in Apple notes, but I only have one folder that's shared with my spouse. You know, all my calendars are shared with my spouse, but when we have one, well, actually we have two uh, task lists shared with us. One's a grocery list and one is just stuff to do around the house, you know, or, you know, things like look at trip travel or something, you know, things we need to do together, but she doesn't need to know about the other 15 lists I have in my task manager or, you know, the other stuff sure. I have in notes because it's, it's not contextually important for her. And so, that's something that I've been thinking a, a lot about, you know, especially this time of year is, you know, the beta cycles over and it's kind of like, okay, like where does reminders end up? Where does notes end up? Where, where are all these tools, where are they going to be for the next year? And so much of that around for me, at least is what do I need to share with other people and what do I don't? And I think your move is a, just a great example of that of, Hey, you know what? I was doing these calendars for me, but it works better for the team if they're over here. And so you make that move. And uh, I think we should all be more flexible when it comes to those sorts of decisions. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Get your Mac as good as new and get 5% off. Just go to macpaw.app slash MPU. I am a big fan of Clean My Mac X. It's the utility app that I use all the time because I don't want to have to figure out all this stuff myself. I used to run terminal commands. I used to make checklists. I did all that stuff. But the fact was, I wasn't as doing it as good as Clean My Mac X was doing it. And Clean My Mac X makes the whole process automatic. 
You just open the application, click the scan button, and Clean My Mac X does the rest for you. For instance, I just ran it this morning. I haven't run it now for about three weeks. It found nine gigabytes of data that I don't need. Uh, it checked me for viruses and uh, harmful software. It found that my Mac is fine and there's no problems. And it has three recommendations for me to speed up my Mac. It wants me to run the maintenance scripts, the things I used to have to do manually, flush the DNS cache and free up some RAM. It's going to do all that stuff for me when I just click one button and then my Mac is clean. And that's what Clean My Mac X is. It's the application that takes care of all that nonsense for you. Junk files, hung processes, and malicious apps can slow down even the latest and most powerful Macs. Clean My Mac X takes care of your Mac, whether it's new or old. And these guys aren't just sitting back on their hands. They keep improving the application. It's beautiful to run. It has a nice little whimsical user interface, which makes it kind of fun to clean your Mac. And they have really added a lot of tools for malware removal and privacy recently, so they're keeping up with the times. Another thing I like to do with Clean My Mac X is run the Space Lens, and that's a special piece of Clean My Mac X that looks at my Mac and finds where I am wasting space and helps me clean that up. That's so important these days when you've got an SSD, you got to protect that space. With nearly 30 million downloads and 15 years of expertise, this app is a must-try for any Mac user. So whether you've already updated to Sonoma or you're about to, Clean My Mac X can get your Mac running at peak performance. Best of all, all Mac Power users listeners get 5% off. Check out the link in the show notes now or go to macpaw.app/mpu. Once again, that is macpaw.app/mpu or click the link in the show notes and our thanks to Clean My Mac X for all their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So, David, we spoke a while back about your looking around for a 3D printer. We got a lot of feedback from people uh, about the Bamboo Carbon X1 and then the Prusa, which is the model that I have. Uh, what did you end up getting and how's it going? I ended up with the Bamboo Carbon X1 and I am digging it, man. I, uh, I decided on Bamboo because it seemed kind of like the Apple experience, just reading the online reviews and there are so many YouTube reviews of these printers. That was yeah. really easy. Um, uh, I don't really want one where I have to print the parts to keep it going. <laughs> you know, although that that can make a lot of sense. Like it's open source. If something breaks, you just print a replacement part and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. But the the bamboo people seem to have uh, an answer to that. They've they've got all the parts for sale. They're not overpriced and. It seems like uh, a lot of people were really happy with it, but it was also kind of, I think me looking for kind of the Apple experience of, you know, it's kind of taken care of for you. Like they also sell the filament that, you know, works with them. They've got QR codes on the filament. So the software knows exactly what filament it's using. And it even has QR codes on the plates. So the, the, the printer checks the plate to say, oh, wait, you're doing something for a smooth plate, but this should be on a textured plate. You want to switch it, you know, and it auto levels it. And just like all the kind of like historical um, friction points with running a 3D printer, it kind of solves for you. And it wasn't that much more money. It was only, I think, about $300 more than the Prusa. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm just going to get the one where that stuff's all taken care of for me. Yeah. And, um, and it, you know, it showed up. I took it out of the box and screwed a few things to a few things and 
turn it on. It, it really is a very easy setup. And so now I've had it and it's been running for about a month in a corner of the uh, quote unquote maker space. My wife and I are trying to turn the garage into a maker space and uh, having a 3d printer in the mix is, is really great. Yeah, I think it, it looks awesome. It, and uh, I'm looking through the website now. It definitely has some tricks like the, the multicolor support. Um, you sent me some pictures and I'm going to have a link in the show, show notes to this, to this grid finity system. Can you walk me through what this is? Because I've, I've had it bookmarked since we talked about it, but I haven't, di- haven't gotten to dive in yet. Gridfinity is the, the use of my printer. I love Gridfinity so much. <laughs> so uh, as soon as I got this set up, I started hearing from people in the labs and in the podcast like, okay, Sparky, how many little Darth Vader helmets have you made now that you've got your, your printer, right? And people really thought that was the, the rabbit hole I will go down. And I'm not saying that I won't go down that rabbit hole. I have downloaded the various parts to print your own R2-D2. Perfect. But I have not done anything with any of that stuff. Instead, uh, my immediate like um, itch to be scratched by this thing was storage. I've got these various drawers around the house that are full of stuff, and there's no organization to them. Uh, in some cases, I use that Kaizen foam, and uh, and I, for people who don't who haven't heard this thing from me, I I really have what I think is a bit of a sickness in terms of organization. I like things organized to an unhealthy degree, so much so that I think it's a form of distraction from actually doing work. Hmm. where I have to have it just right. And if it's not, it like bugs me. I think about it in bed, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so that is a that is a thing that I deal with. And this Gridfinity system is definitely a, a big piece of chocolate for me in terms of that, because <laughs> Gridfinity is, is a, it's, a, it's an organizational system. Uh, so uh, there's this guy, Zach Freeman. He's a little nutty. You have to like watch his video. We'll put one in the show notes. The guy who came up with it, he made it an open source design and it's a bunch of grids. So it prints out the square grid that you lay on the bottom of a drawer or on your table or whatever. And then you print out various containers and open, you know, they can, they can snap into it almost like Lego so you've got the grid and then you put containers on it. Like I need a container the size of my, you know, lens filter. Okay, well then this is the size you need. You just print it, you drop it in and you're good to go. All right. So I got this Gridfinity system started and I went in a hundred percent with it. I have mm-hmm. been doing nothing but printing Gridfinity and I love it so much. And because it's open source, a lot of people have been making stuff for it. Like I wanted to put my AirPods pro in a grid gridfinity holder. So I just typed gridfinity AirPods pro. And there were like four of them people have already made <laughs> and they, they're perfectly made to hold an AirPods pro case. So now I've got, then you just send it to the printer. And and the way this works, if you've never used a 3d printer before, I guess I should say that because I'm sure a lot of people haven't um, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, you can design stuff to print on it. You know, that's when you yeah. use 3d software like fusion or one of these things. Uh, I have barely done that and I don't know that I'll do a lot of it, but you know, I that's out in the future for me. But the main thing is you need what they call a slicer and the bamboo 
printer comes with its own software. So you can take any of these things out there on the internet, download them, just like you and I do with Apple scripts, while well, you do it with these 3D designs, and you import them into the Bamboo software, and it shows you the device right on the uh, it, you know, right on the the plate that's going to be printed. So it shows you what it looked like. And with the Bamboo, if you've got the one with the different um, colors of filament, you can pick one of four that you have connected, and then it shows you the right color. And then you can move it around to say, well, this is where I want it on the plate, or this is what I want done. And then you press the slice button, and all it's doing is is going through the the thing you've put up there top to bottom and saying, well, this would be 150 layers of filament, and each layer would look like this, you know, just like you see those cutaways. And that's how it builds it. It goes through and it prints out each layer, layer one, layer two, layer three, until it gets to the 150, and it's got a thing that'll hold your AirPods. Um, so all that's done with the Bamboo software. And the Bamboo software is connects wirelessly to the device out in the garage. So I can turn it on, put my AirPod holder in it, say, make it with the gray filament, uh, slice it, now send it to the printer, and then it goes off to the printer. And then the next thing that happens is they've got a little camera in there. So you can check it, you know. Usually these things, if they fail, it's in the first or second layer. You know, sometimes right. things just go wrong. Yeah. Uh, but once yeah. they get rolling, <laughs> you know, they call it spaghetti. You know, it's like something just goes wrong. Yeah, I've learned to I've learned to babysit the first several passes on my jobs. Yeah, because uh, I was doing some. Well, some of the 3D printed objects for the Buckassathon. I printed a bunch of those, and I was going to print a big one. I just hit print and like ran out the door to go do something, and I came back later. I was like, "Oh, there's filament everywhere. Something terrible has happened." Yeah, yeah. Well, and like I think that's more of a problem when you print like objects. Yeah. Like my nephew came over and he wanted a dinosaur, and we had a failure, but then um, we printed like support pieces for it, and then it worked. Um, but for the Gridfinity stuff, it's all very basic. You know, there's there's no need for support material. You just print it from the bottom up and it works. And that's great. But I cannot stop making this stuff, Stephen. I've, so I've made uh, storage for my Iron Giant storage in the studio. There's one drawer in the shop that I've been printing some stuff for. And I just look around the house now. I'm like, oh, this needs organization. I can print a grid. Then I can print little boxes to put on top of the grid. And I open the drawers and I look at them and they make me so happy. <laughs> and I just keep doing it. And Daisy thinks I've completely lost my mind. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, can I do the the, the um, silverware drawer? And she's like, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> she needs space right now. But the... Uh, <laughs> I just want to. I just want to print storage everywhere. That's all I want to do with this thing. It's so stupid because it's like, you know, these things are expensive, and you could go to Target and buy a lot of plastic storage for for the money one of these costs. But each piece of storage is custom fit to the thing that I'm making, and I love it. I just love it. And then you can reorganize, and that's the advantage of the Gridfinity over the Kaizen foam. Once you cut the Kaizen foam, that's it, man. You can't right. change anything with the Gridfinity stuff. You can move them around. So. Yeah, man, I'm having so much fun with this thing. Because the, the Griffinity is like a, a base plate, and then you can put your, for lack of a better word, like the implements, like your individual organizational pieces, they just like snap in or, or clip in? Exactly. Each square is 42 millimeters square, you know, and nerds will appreciate 42. And then you just decide when you're printing stuff, 
the dimensions. Like I, this is uh, like, I was, I had a drill bit that was working in the garage. I have a special drill bit that I use for a special thing. And I said, I'm going to make a gridfinity for this drill bit. It's a one by three. So it's 42 wide by roughly hundred, 126 tall. And that's perfect for this one thing. And then you can also govern how high it is. Like you can say, so one by three, and then uh, in increments of seven millimeters, how tall you want it. Like, like I have one that's holding pencils in a drawer over here. That is, um, that is a six, uh, it's 42 millimeters high. So it's, it's really tall because it's holding a bunch of pencils, but a lot of them I, I print are much shorter so you can get to the stuff that you're putting in there. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, there's just like a million of these things and a million is an exaggeration, but like, if I want to store drill bits, somebody has designed a thing to store drill bits. If I want to store uh, batteries, there's a bunch of things to store batteries. Like you want, you need double A, triple A. I did a thing where I downloaded the models for all of the various uh, coin cell batteries, you know, cause I have a lot of home kit stuff around here. So I've got multiple different size coin cell batteries and I had them in a bin like an animal just floating around in there. And now I made these little um, holders. They're one by one gridfinity grids, but they have little slots in them for the batteries and it prints the name of the battery on the side. So, uh, when the home kit doodad needs a new battery, I just check the battery, go to the drawer, pull the one I, I need and replace it. Um, this is the kind of thing I'm doing. Uh, I was telling some people in the labs that it's really turned into me, um, a very expensive Pomodoro timer. Have you, you know what a Pomodoro timer is? Yeah. 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 So it's like it's some guy in Italy came up with the idea and he used a tomato clock. That's why they call it Pomodoro, but it's like, the idea is you take a timer, like a kitchen timer, and you set it for 30 minutes and say, okay, I'm going to focus on work for 30 minutes until the timer goes off. And it's like one of the best productivity hacks. If you have trouble staying focused, it works really well. Definitely. Um, so now I say, okay, I am going to print this uh, two by three thing to store this other thing. It's going to take an hour and a half. Let me see if I can get through all my email before this print is done. You know, like I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go get my print until I finish the task I've chosen for this time. So I've turned it into a Pomodoro timer. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm having fun with it. it it's not going to replace woodworking in my life. I mean, it's I, woodworking for me is much more um, uh, of a craft and, and creative because this I'm really downloading models and printing them. But I just see immediate uses for it all over the place and uh, totally makes sense to me now that I've got one. And I feel like I'm going to be using it for a long time. That's really cool. This is on my task list for after Kickstarter fulfillment. This is how I'm going to spend some time. Your reward. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that's, I I feel like you and I are kind of similar in that way, right? (laughs) You know, and uh, it's so nice. Like I just made one yesterday and because you can make them with label holders or without label holders. So like. I, I was making some yesterday. They were one by two, but they hold my little, um, my, my little microphone, you know, and I can just put it in there. It's got the label on it. This is the one for the road. This is the one for the DJI, but blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I find it very satisfying when I open that drawer and I, everything is just laid out there like me. Did you ever see that movie? The Kingsman? I have not. Okay, it's it was like a goofy movie, but it's like a secret agent society, and this kid gets inducted into it, and they open up this drawer, and there's all the weapons and everything, and everything is perfectly laid out. And I, you know, the movie was fine, but the cabinet 
was so impressive to me. That's the <laughs> thing I loved most about it. Like, I want my whole life to be like that with the Kingsman. I open a drawer, everything I need is right there. I can get what I want. And, uh, and like I said, it, it's not entirely healthy, but this definitely feeds that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's fun. I, at some point I will print actual little doodads. And like I said, I've done a few for family members, but I, mm-hmm. my thing is Gridfinity baby all the way. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. We're, we'll talk a little bit later on uh, about some, something that I recently 3d printed to solve a little problem I had, you know, that's what, yeah. that's what they're great for. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing that too. Like I, um, I was running cable up my, uh, I have a little pole mounted on my, um, on my desk for my camera and the cable was all over the place. And, I thought, well, let me look. And there was somebody had a model of a thing that fits the pole and you print the clips and you clip them on. And it's like, it solves little problems like that. Uh, for woodworkers, there's a ton of prints out there for woodworking. The thing I think I would use it most for is odd angle jigs. Like if I do something that's 22 and a half degrees or something, and I want to make a little um, jig to hold it together as I'm gluing the the thing together, like I would just probably print that. And so I think I'll use it for stuff like that. I'm not going to be printing components of uh, my projects for it, but more like tools to help make them. Yeah. But I, I like it and it's fun. I, I think the organization is a big thing people do with these printers and, and that is uh, that is definitely in my wheelhouse. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by indeed. No one wins playing the waiting game. And when it comes to hiring, you don't want to wait for great talent to happen to find you. You want to find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed because it is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, you can use Indeed's powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that find you match candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed's hiring platform really is great. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than the candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed Data. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements, making it an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post. Just go to indeed.com slash MPU. That link is in the show notes, and this offer is good for a limited time. So visit Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D, indeed.com slash MPU to support the show by saying you heard about it on this, your favorite podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the show. Okay, there's been an entry in our outline for a week that says, Stephen's secret project. David will learn about this live as we record. And I've like dropped you hands. I'm like, man, I'm really thinking about that. I mean, what's going on? And you're like, you'll find out when we record. So 
here I am, Stephen. What are you about to drop on? Uh, well, you're going to get an email in just a second. So if you could open your email, please. Oh, man. I got to okay. send you an invitation so you can see it. Because it's uh, not publicly available. MPU? MPU in Notion? Yes. Yeah, so I have spent... What have you done, Stephen? <laughs> what have you done? I've... I'm only like an hour and a half into this, but I've I've okay. been kicking around just quietly thinking about, you know, for next year, are, are there better ways we could organize the show? Right now we have a pile of Google Docs and Google Sheets, and that's great. And that's how I run my entire life. But thinking, is there something that would be a bit more uh, easy to use for us and, you know, some uh, couple of people who help us uh, behind the scenes? And this really started when I heard months ago that the Cortex boys had had basically moved their entire pre-production flow into Notion. And so this is totally like prototypey. And it's the first, like I said, maybe an hour or an hour and a half into it of having a content calendar and a, a database for topic ideas and show assets. And I think that, uh, there's, there's, possibly uh real uh real legs here <laughs> i you know it's i had a a, a friend call with your partner mike oh, I hurley know. i know about this oh you do <laughs> because i asked mike yeah, the other day i was like hey i know y'all are doing for this cortex i'd love to see some of it and he said you know what or he's like why i was like well i'm thinking about this for mpu he's like you know i just had a call with david sparks and he said I'm thinking about Notion for MPU, and so he's our matchmaker. Um, yeah. Well, what I said was, I'm thinking about. I don't think I could ever get Stephen out of Google. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. No, this is difficult for me. Believe me. And I have a issues to resolve document in here. Um, okay. The biggest issue with this, and and this is where you or maybe the audience can help, is obviously we have a lot of episodes with guests. Usually one, sometimes two a month. And with yeah. Google Doc, that's so easy because we can just send them the link and everyone has a, a Google account and they can edit and view the document. And we and we allow our guests to edit the document because sometimes they add their own links or add their own things they want, you know, they want in there. And you can do that with Notion, but they got to sign into Notion. And I just I worry that that's maybe a little too much friction for guests. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're dropping on this on me right now. I have to I know. think about this it. This is the fun I part of it is do, doing it on the show. Yeah, I I feel like the guests could probably figure it out. Yeah, or we could help them, right? Like, so I I did this. I basically published it to the web and sent an edit link. You know, with an edit link, I opened an incognito window in Safari. And Notion does have sign in with Apple, so I could just sign in with my Apple ID, and then I could edit the document. So that's pretty easy. Um, and if they already have a Notion account, they can just sign in with their Notion account, and that one document they can edit with a notion it's uh you know where they have access to it through their normal account so i feel like it's actually not too bad um but i, I don't know something about this sort of like so something as simple as taking a topic idea from the topic idea table and pasting it into the calendar table where like it becomes you know a, a real topic uh that's all yes pretty interesting it's all just handled. Yeah, I, I have been using Notion, like we said earlier in the show, for the Max Sparky stuff. And there are problems with it. Like, I would prefer something like Obsidian to do all this in, but yeah. it's not collaborative. This right. is collaborative. And 
And frankly, there's some collaborative pieces of this I don't think Obsidian will ever get. So, um, you know, the table views, the index tables, the, 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 I mean, this is a, there's lots to talk about here, but, you know, you've got the basics. So we've got a calendar for the upcoming shows. Um, like one of the things that we want to do is like categorize it by type or uh, lead, like you've already got in here. So mm-hmm. is this one that I'm going to manage or you're going to manage? Uh, like, I think we could have a thing in here for sponsor reads, like when they're done, we could have a task uh, in, in integrated task manager that sponsor reads are already in the system. So we uh, have it, we could share it with our editor, Jim, and then he could always have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that. You just click the show title and then you can go into the outline. So, cause we work on a lot of outlines early. So, I mean, I know I, I totally see this working for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, that that problem with guests, I think there's, you know, that's a problem if the guest wants to edit the outline. Many guests don't want to edit it. They just want to see it. True. And that's easy enough. We could even just send it to them as text or a PDF or something if they wanted yeah. it that way. Yeah. And and they could they could view it without an account, right? And it's a little bit behind the scenes. Like we have planning calls with our guests and you and I, or whoever's doing the call, you know, we can edit it as we go and they could see it. Um, so yeah, so it may not be an issue at all. It's just like in putting this together again, just, you know, a little bit of time into it. That was what came to mind first. Like, okay, that's, that's a hurdle we have to make sure we can overcome before we, we move all into this. And, and my thought would be, this is something we start at the beginning of the year. Like we have the rest of the year to kind of figure out what we want. and. Um, I mean, even to the point where like the, um, you know, having it laid out in a calendar is really pretty cool. Being able to filter, like I put a check mark in here for published. And so you can still, if you want to filter to see the published episodes, you can, but they're hidden by default. Like it gives us a lot of flexibility. I feel like that we don't have in the stack of Google documents, but, um, but obviously, you know, we're getting into, okay, well, this is like a whole solution but you're already i don't use notion for anything right now so this would be notion would be the mpu app for me but you're already using it and you see i'm sure you know much more about how it works uh it's something i want to explore because i think i think it could be really useful and and interesting if, if anything just for better tracking like being able to put tags on episodes like okay what's the status is it planning is it ready to record you know, is uh, what are the sponsors? Like have all that in one place. Cause right now we're kind of bouncing around yep. between multiple places. And sometimes I feel like, you know, things get maybe a little bit, a little bit lost. And it also is useful for, um, for finding historical data. Like if we have a guest that we had on, if this builds over time, it's hard for us sometimes to get access to the old stuff. Because uh, for a while we did it in Omni Outliner, then we did it. And we've tried different tools over the years, yeah. but this just has everything mm-hmm. right there for you. Yeah, and uh, and I think that is quite useful. Like one of the things I just added a record date field property to the calendar. Oh yeah, that's good because you want to organize it by record date or publication date. Uh, one of the downsides of uh, and one of the big downsides of Notion for me. And again, maybe somebody listening uh, has a better idea, but you can't, you can only index on one date. So it's going to, you're going to have to have a, 
publication calendar and a record date calendar. Um, I know there are third-party plugins to try and combine them, but I don't want to get too exotic here. Yeah, uh, at least at the beginning. And uh, but that's fine too. We with Max Sparky stuff, we have like an event. We'll do a deep dive on something, and that is a live Zoom call. Mm-hmm. But then we'll publish the video like a week later. So those are just two different dates, and they're indexed two different ways in the calendar. Yeah. Um, but the uh, yeah, it's uh, no. We can totally make this work if you're in, if you're interested. I didn't want to fight you on it. You know, I know you like <laughs> Google, and that's uh, that's why I told Mike. In fact, I I didn't even follow up with you on it because I'm like, oh, I just don't see that this is something Stephen would want to do. But if you're interested, I think we can totally make this work. Yeah, yeah, I, I am interested. I think having sort of a, a home base for everything MPU makes sense, and I think yeah, there are some other people who need access to it, but. I think they would be fine managing it, right? Like Carrie, yeah. you know, again, we mentioned her earlier at Relay. She does some stuff on one of our spreadsheets, but she is a wizard at everything she touches. No problem there. Same with Jim, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's very interesting. Um, and for me, at least, I do all my MPU work at my Mac. And so even though this would be available on the iPhone and iPad, you know, uh, being max centric with like big tables and stuff like that's fine with me because we are, I mean, at least the calendar, like there is a calendar view, but the table view, like it's just a big spreadsheet really that does a lot of fancy yeah. things, but that's, yeah. you know, like that's fine. Yeah. And you'll find that like over time, these views um, can, we can refine them yeah. and and you can make your own views and we can share views. Yeah. It'll be cool. I think this will, this will work for us. Yeah. So we'll play with that. Yeah, because we have multiple databases we go to for like our our guest ideas, our topic ideas. I, I think this would make uh, production easier. So, mm-hmm. uh, but well, we've got to we've got to like iron it out, and we got I think we got to get buy in from Jim too. Yeah, he's hearing this as we record. <laughs> he's also being um, surprised so, by this. <laughs> yeah, like we got to make sure he's okay with it too. But the uh, I I feel like yeah, man, this is cool. Well, this is a nice surprise. I didn't know what you were going to tell me. <laughs> Starting a new podcast, I'm gonna call it Windows Power Users. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's um, what I thought. You know, yeah, I mean, because we, and I think people know this. You know, we work on outlines sometimes a long time in advance. Like our deep dive yeah. episodes or our app roundup episodes, those weeks and weeks of preparation. Sometimes interviews. Sometimes it's you know the week of. It, it's all over the place. And a list of Google Docs, like it kind of falls down once you have a bunch of things kind of in flight at once. And what I like about this is I can very quickly skim. Okay. This is this topic and Oh, I'm the lead on it. And uh, you know, I can just open it in place and what's the status. Yeah. Yeah. Jump right into it. And that's very, uh, that's very interesting to, to consider. And I think that like, obviously any, like if we move systems or anytime you move systems, right, you've got to, Go in, go into it with like, yeah, like I have some ideas about what I want out of it, but it will change and evolve over time. And Notion gives us tools to do that. And like Google Docs and Sheets, they kind of are what they are, right? And we're doing a lot of stuff in them. And like our schedule spreadsheet, I got a lot of logic in there for like, when you click an episode is published, like this is and this happens and it's doing some arithmetic on things. And like, it's, it's still just a spreadsheet though under the hood and with notion like this table and this calendar is driven by a database. And that means you can get more interesting and tying things together. Like I would imagine there'll be a, there's a better way 
to like, okay, when I want to take something from a topic idea and promote it to an episode, like, can we make that really simple and easy to do? Like, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah, really they, know. They, they have a feature called templates. And mm-hmm. if you go under the the new button and the arrow, and I, I, I don't know if this is interesting radio here, but yeah, <laughs> they have templates. So we can yeah. set up a template for a new show, but we could set up a template for like a guest show versus mm-hmm. a feedback show versus we can make templates for different kinds of shows. And then it would auto populate a bunch of stuff for us. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of things we can do to make this work, but this will be fun talk about on the show as we get it nailed down though i think this would be interesting uh, another downside for me with notion is it does it's not as friendly with mac automation but neither was google docs right uh some of the online automation stuff works with it but um i have found in the three or four months now i've been using notion daily that i feel like the automation inside notion is kind of where it's at if you're hmm. going to be doing notion you might as well just use the built-in automations you don't need to get too exotic uh, but you know, we'll wait and see. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the, sometimes we make more out of this stuff than it needs to be. Honestly, it's like, yeah, you need a new show. You click the new button, pick the template for the type of show. And then it, it generates enough of the stuff automatically and you do the rest manually. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. That's going to read your mind and say, Oh, the guest is this guy or that lady, you know, it's right. you still have to type that in, but you only have to type it in once. If you've got it all in one place. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And like, I was thinking about some automation stuff. Like I have some things bookmarked, like, could we have a space in here that pulls in the RSS feed so we could very quickly search for things on past episodes, right? That would give us titles and show notes yeah. and links and stuff like, cause you're right. The show has been going on so long. I mean, even just my time on it now, you know, it's been years. Like right now, if I'm like, when is the last time we cover this? I go to the relay site and search and that's fantastic. Like yeah. I got, I got nothing bad to say about the guy who designed and built the relay website, but <laughs> having it in line with everything else we're working on, being able to reference that stuff easier like that, even if we can't bring historic data, even if we just had that for January moving forward in a new way, I think that's really valuable for us. And then I also want to research how other people are using them for a podcast planning tool. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want to talk to Mr. Hurley and, and oh, some they're, other they're folks. They're doing wild stuff. So like they, the, they basically have like topic ideas and chunks and then they just move them around in this table and like they build an episode that way. It's like we start with the the topic and then kind of build yeah. the content around the topic where yeah. they're almost inside out from us. So it is interesting, but not the way that we work. I don't think. Well, like, but but this would be interesting. Like for instance, we could auto-populate the future feedback episodes for the next year and when feedback comes in, currently we put it into a shared Google Doc, but we could actually just go straight to the show outline yeah. and just have it there waiting for us. I, I feel like there's a lot we could do with this. Yeah, this will be this will be fun. And I always like new things. I think your biggest challenge, honestly, with this is going to be getting me to wait until January. It's like, <laughs> you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be like, you know, I feel like it's pretty good. Let's just start using it. You know? <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I, I'm just telling you ahead of time what's coming your way because yeah. my personality is one where oh, I once I want to make a change, I want to just do it right there. I, know. Like, I mean, if, if you kind of back up from Notion and take your glasses off, you know, it's like the it's like Gridfinity for content, really. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I took like uh, 30 minutes to decide to stop being a lawyer. So making a move to this uh, Notion is not going to be hard for me, man. <laughs> Well, 30 minutes or 15 years. I'm not sure. One or the other. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's a surprise. Right, Nothing bad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I did think it'd be fun to spring it, bring it on you on the I show. I didn't think it was gonna be anything bad, but I just didn't know. What, I, I was thinking like, is he gonna like announce that he's all in with Obsidian and OmniFocus or what's he what's he up to? I yeah. don't know. I just felt like you had some some up your sleeve. Well, I guess I was right. It was software related, but mm-hmm. I didn't see this coming. Now I feel bad that I didn't raise it with you. I I just didn't give you credit, man. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry. That, that made it as soon as I heard that from Mike, I was like, oh, it has to be on the show because that makes it so much funnier <laughs> that you would have this conversation with him. In fairness, the, for listeners, a few times over the years, I've told Steve, I'm like, well, what do you think if we like try to do them in Apple Notes or something? And Steven is like immediately, nope. You know, it's just like yeah. there is not even a breath. You tried moving us into base camp. You asked me quite a few times. Yeah. Well, what, what do we try this? What do we do? Nope. Nope. I, you know, yeah. I'm like, this guy, he loves his Google Docs. I'm I never going to I'm gonna take dynamite to get him off of that. But apparently he didn't. <laughs> I'm not moving any Just of my other relational shows. database. That's yeah. all. <laughs> We're going to do it in FileMaker. So prepare yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. And we should run it on your cube. Okay. Your cube yeah. I'll corner. get FileMaker server going. And uh, if the internet goes out, you can't do show prep. So good luck. Okay. Well, all right, there we go. (laughs) This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by NetSuite, the leading integrated cloud business software suite. Download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance. Just go to netsuite.com slash MPU. Running a business is difficult, and especially so if you spend too much time doing manual processes. Getting work done feels hard and You can't be as productive or profitable as you'd like because you don't get to spend enough time in your business. And that's what NetSuite is here to solve. If you want to make sure cracks don't emerge in your business, you should know these three numbers, 36,000, 25, and 1. All right, so what do those numbers mean? 36,000, that's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25 is because NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you can manage risks, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need is all in one place. Having the information you need in one place makes it so much easier to make decisions. I run a small business and I know what a difference it can make and how much easier everything operates when information is available. It really means smart decisions can be made faster and you can avoid a lot of the dumb ones. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com mpu. That's netsuite.com slash MPU to get your own KPI checklist. N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash MPU for that free checklist. Go there now, get that free KPI checklist, and make sure your business is one that continues to thrive. And our thanks to NetSuite for all their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. All right, so uh, let's talk about stuff we've been playing with. Um, I have had an, a saga going on in my house, Stephen, with mm-hmm. the arrival of the new iPhone 15 Pro. 
uh, lab sheeples have heard me talk about this quite a bit, but I was very concerned because my car uses CarPlay with a cable. It's not built in wireless. And it has been very easy for my wife and I to share because we only have one car we share. I can't believe that thing doesn't have wireless CarPlay. I know. I it's know. a, a new to, electric car. <laughs> I know. And it was an expensive electric car. But the uh, if you go on the Kia forums, there, it depends who you ask. Like they have it, but they haven't enabled it. Or hmm. I don't know what the story is. But but to tell you the truth, I like the cable lifestyle for CarPlay. Uh, you get in, you plug it in, you know your phone is getting charged. And it's just a good reminder to stick the phone somewhere where it's not like in your uh, – field of vision or where you can reach it. I just, I, I literally just put it out of the way and then I just use CarPlay when I'm driving and which is much safer. So I, I don't mind it really at all. But, you know, my wife and I both had phones with a lightning port on it for all this time. So if I get in the car, I plug mine in. If she gets in the car, she plugs her and everybody's happy. Uh, I, I did some very clever use of gaff tape and other things to get the cable just right where it's out of the way and you don't see it, but it's available when you need it. So I was very happy with the cable situation. And then I got a new phone that has a USB-C port in it. And I got in the car and I looked at the cable and I looked at my USB-C port and I said, okay, well, I guess I don't have any CarPlay right now. And I have a concern and that is I love my wife, but she is not Max Sparky and not very tech technology. When it comes to technology, sometimes she's not very patient. And I could just imagine, like, if I had a USB-C cable in there and her getting in the car and wanting to listen to Taylor Swift or whatever she does with her phone and just repeatedly jamming that USB-C into her lightning port Hmm. and not stopping to think, well, why isn't this not working, but just jamming it harder? Yeah. (laughs) And I'm thinking... This isn't going to work. And she's going to be mad at her husband because now her car play doesn't work half the time she gets in. So, so we are looking at solutions. So, you know, the obvious is two cables, right? You've got a USB-C cable and the, and the lightning cable and just make sure the right one's in there. I didn't really like that idea because I had wired the cable perfectly and I didn't want to have two cables. And I knew that if I forgot, then that would make it harder for her. And I'm trying to be a good husband. Um, so that was like my worst case scenario answer to this problem. But then I said, well, there's gotta be a better way. So the first thing I did was look into adapters. And if you go on Amazon, there's a whole ecosystem of little plastic adapters that say, you know, take lightning and turn it to USB-C, take USB-C, turn it to lightning, blah, blah, blah. So I bought a couple of them and they all said good for data or something like that in the, Amazon description. Cause you know, there's some people just use these cables for charging, but I needed one that could transfer data so we could get it back to CarPlay. And I only bought ones that said transfers data and I bought three of them. None of them worked. They all charged the phone. None of them CarPlay did not recognize the phone attached to it. So I sent those back. That didn't work. Then um, uh, somebody in the lab said, why don't you try splitter? You know, they've got these splitters where mm-hmm. you uh, put it on the end and then it turns into two. And that way you could have one that's a, uh, you could have the USB-C and the lightning cable attached at the same time in essence. So I got a couple splitters, only splitter that said good for data and none of them worked. So I wasn't doing too well. And then I got thinking, well, you know, maybe I will try a wireless solution. And there, there are several wireless solutions out there. 
I bought one that was about $50. It was highly rated on Amazon. It said it would work with multiple phones. And I plugged it in and it worked. You know, it worked fine. You can wireless into CarPlay. Um, but when you have two different phones, it's not, it wasn't consistently switching between them. And then sometimes you had to go into the settings to tell, no, 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 this phone, not that phone. Hmm. And I just felt like that is a bridge too far. I want a very seamless solution for my wife. And, you know, if, if this was just me driving this car, then that's probably where I would have stopped. But no, it's not. So I sent that back. And I'm just trying to find the right solution. And then one of the labs members wrote me and said, why don't you just get the the Apple, the Apple converter? And I'm like, what? I didn't even know they made one. And sure enough, Apple makes a little three-inch cable. It's $30 because it's Apple. It's got a female lightning port on one end and a male USB-C on the other end. And I ordered it, and I plugged it into the lightning and plugged my phone in, and it worked fine. And then you unplug it, and then it's just a lightning. It's the same cable she's always used, so nothing has changed for her except that there is a, a a little white dongle on the end. If the dongle's on the end, pull it off and put the black cable in and you're good. And I, I, I know it sounds like I'm almost like being uh, silly the way I'm talking about my wife on this stuff, but she doesn't want to deal with it. I get it, you know? Um, but so, and I try to make a point of unplugging the dongle when I use it. She drives the car more than me anyway. Um, so I've got a spot in the car where the dongle goes. When I want to drive the car and use my thing, I plug in the little dongle and I'm good. And that was a, a very long and arduous process to get to a point where we could have two different phones. Yeah. Is the adapter in a 3D printed little bucket for itself? Not yet. Dude, what are you but doing? Now that you say that, now that you say that, <laughs> I have a backlog of Gridfinity here, buddy. I don't know. No, I, I guess I could, the thing is the car has a perfect little slot for it mm -hmm. just anyway. So I don't know that I need one, but okay. I, I can do that. And the, the other problem is I, I've been printing primarily PLA. That's another thing I should have said earlier. When you buy a 3d printer, it allows you to learn something new and that's always fun. And so there's different kinds of filaments and I've been printing the cheap filament, the PLA stuff, yep. which is very nice. But it's not heat friendly. And if Correct. you put a PLA printed thing in a car in California Good where enough. it gets, you know, like 120 degrees in there in the summer, uh, it would just be a, pu a puddle of plastic when you went in. So I'd have to make it out of a different filament, blah, blah, blah. So I, I haven't really gone down that road yet. Uh, there's a bunch of 3D models for my car specifically, if you look them up. But um, I'm a little nervous about printing stuff. And then putting it in a car where it's just going to bake in yeah. the California sun during the summer. Yes. We'll get, we're going to come back to that in just a second. Um, okay. So, I mean, I have the same problem, right? I have an iPhone 15 Pro Max. My wife has an iPhone 13 mini. And I ended up going with the mono price 118789. So this is a USB-A. I can't believe I'm saying this. USB-A to USB, uh, micro USB. And then it has a little USB-C adapter and a little lightning adapter. And they're yeah. attached to it. And you just swap the end out. And it works great gotcha. for CarPlay. I've, I haven't, we don't sync our phones over cables anymore in my household, but it works great for CarPlay. And what I do is, uh, this is only in her car. We're going to get to my truck in a second because I've changed it all. But in her van, if I get in, 
I take the lightning adapter off. I put the USB-C one on. I use my phone. Then when I get out of her van, I put it back so she doesn't ever have to think about it. Um, exactly. And that's that's my being a good nerd husband. And uh, this cable has worked great. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks. So like, uh, I guess I'll report back if it explodes in, in three weeks. But so far, it's been fine. And it's like 10 bucks. And so what I like about this is I can't lose the adapter very easily because they're attached. If you look at the picture in the show notes, they're attached to the cable. Yeah, yeah. That's been my uh, been my solution so far. No, that, that works. And I, I I didn't try this one. If I had hit this one first, I probably would have used that because I spent three times as much for this adapter. But now mm-hmm. that it's working, I'm not going to switch anything. And I do the same thing. I put the adapter on when I need it. And when I get to my destination and I unplug it, the phone, I also unplug the adapter. So sure. as far as Daisy's concerned, nothing has really changed. Yeah. And that's the way we're trying to save your marriage, gang. We're, we're going to call this segment the healthy marriage cable solution segment it's an important thing that? right so like in my kitchen yeah. i have the dual 35 watt USB-C charger that apple sells yeah one of the cables is lightning the other one's USB-C. you know so whoever's in the kitchen can uh can, can plug in their phone because uh we're just in this transition right now and when everything's USB-C, it's going to be sick but we're not there yet so do you let your kids take their phones to the bedroom? Uh, so the only, my only kid who has a phone is my daughter. Uh, she is allowed to use it in her phone, but not with the door closed and not if friends are over. Um, but also like I've screen timed the, the snot out of that phone. So, yeah. Um, and you know, so far she's proven herself trustworthy with it. But, uh, I know like when I was growing up, the computer was like in the dining room or whatever. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't yeah. back in someone's bedroom. Yeah, we did the same thing with the computer with the kids, but the the studies are coming out, and especially with girls, um, you know, these phones are causing all sorts of trouble. Yeah. You know, the um, if if I had it to do over again, um, but the the social media problems didn't really exist when my kids were little, right? And she's not she's not on any social media at this point, so I well, feel like you. yeah, when we cross that bridge at some point in the future, because it's inevitable then I will revisit that for sure. Yeah. I, what I would do, uh, just giving you a heads up on, I, I would just say, you know what, we're going to all charge our phones in the kitchen. And at night when we go to bed, none of us are going to bring a phone. And, and, uh, I think that's a, that's a good way to kind of keep them from their worst. And since my daughter told me, she's like, you know, dad, I remember one night I stayed up all night and did all of angry birds. (laughs) Like, Mm. How did I, I'm like, man, I'm a terrible dad. I didn't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, so, but you know, angry birds is not the problem that, you know, uh, people telling you that you're ugly is, you know? Right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I really would, uh, consider that if you get expand that charger station as the Hackett children start getting to iPhone age, that's a good Just idea. Put them all down there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else are you uh, playing with these days? Uh, so so let me uh, let me close the loop on the car situation. Uh, okay. I talked about this on I think connected. I don't, I don't remember, but I didn't want to be in the two cable the two ended cable situation in the truck because my truck does have wireless CarPlay and Mary's van does not. But the, yeah. the problem is is that the built in wireless charger in the Tundra is really bad. And yeah, they so, always are right. Yeah, like really slow. Yeah. Really slow, like basically wouldn't keep up with CarPlay. My phone got really hot. It had to be lined up just right. 
And so uh, I 3D printed a mount for a MagSafe puck, and I printed it. I think it's PETG or PTEG. I forget yeah. the name, but it it's it yeah. is a material that can withstand being in a car. Because oh boy, PLA would melt in the Memphis <laughs> Memphis heat, and the interior of my truck is all black. So uh, yeah. 3D printed that. I VFB taped it next to the wireless charger. Because the wireless charger does work really well for my wife's phone. Her 13 mini, like it lines up perfectly. It doesn't have any trouble. The 15 Pro Max does. And then I ran the cable under the console up to a power-only USB-C port. Now, I'm not getting the full 15 watts MagSafe can do because of the, the USB-C port doesn't have that much power to it. But it's enough yeah. where it will charge the phone and the charge will gain. The phone will gain charge even using wireless CarPlay. And so... If I'm going someplace quick, I leave my phone in my pocket. If like we were just at the beach and we we took the truck and I could just toss the phone on the MagSafe mount and it was uh it was great. So I I don't have any data cable in the truck. The the other problem with the Tundra in this situation is the USB port, the only USB port you can use for data is up high on the dash and then you have the cable like hanging around and there's no nice way to route it. If you look in the picture, it's the USB port in the upper right-hand corner of the picture. That's the data port. And so there's like no great way to manage that cable. And I didn't like it flopping around. If it was one of the console ports, it'd be different. But those are just power. And so this is a situation I came up with that that works for me. We still have a USB-A port. And, and I have a USB-A to lightning cable in the console. So if my, you know... Someone else wants to charge and there's more USB charging ports in the back. So we have more options. I still have cables in the console for other people, but the MagSafe puck is working great for me. And, uh, you know, little, little truck modification. Well, I'm glad you thought about the printing material. Cause you're right. The PLA would have really melted. It would have been pretty gross. Oh yeah. The, um, I think I have a solution for you. Uh, Amazon to the rescue. They've got a little USB, a L bend adapter. And I think that's what you need. Uh, uh, so yeah. you could plug it in because the way you've got it, the cable is just poking out wide. And since there's no data, it's just power. Even, you know, if this adapter is, you know, crippling it a little bit, it doesn't matter because you already are just using it for low power. I, I think I would try one of those. Okay. We'll put a link in the notes. Cool. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I got to find a USB-C version of it. Um, although, I mean, oh, I guess they have I... them too. Yeah. Yeah, they okay. have them too. I saw. I, I forget because the one I sent you is USB A, but yeah, it's USB. You need USB A bent to USB C, but they have those as well. Yeah. Man, the internet's an amazing place. People make everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Right? The the other thing I'm playing with that I I'll, I'll bring up here is I just po- published a blog post today, actually, as we record this, playing with uh, generative AI fill in Photoshop. So this is different than like going to Dolly and like typing in like send me a picture of uh you know uh a podcaster dressed as Han Solo fighting a bad guy. Um this is built into Photoshop and basically you can extend your photo or select part of a photo and tell Photoshop's AI like uh you know remove this car, remove this person, you know, blue sky with clouds and it it draws that in and it gives you different variations you can use. So I've had this photo of of uh, my wife that I used. Uh, I took, I think, 
Halloween a couple years ago where she's dressed in a hot dog suit. It's just a, a funny picture. It makes me laugh. It's in our front yard, but it's a horizontal picture because I'm not an animal. I take my pictures horizontally, but I've wanted to use it as a wallpaper. And I mean, really starting, I guess, last year with iOS 16 with the new lock screen stuff, you really need the top like quarter of your screen basically empty or like simple so you can use a bunch of widgets and read them. And this photo yeah. just didn't work for that. And I uh, just kind of randomly thought, oh, I can do this in Photoshop now. So I took this photo of her and I spent probably half an hour and, you know, you select what you want, you try a prompt and it does something weird. And I still had to do some like manual Photoshop work, like some some spot healing and some other things to kind of make it work. But I was able to clear out the background. I was able to bring the skyline, uh, the tree line down and extend like all those blue, that blue sky and white clouds in this blog post, that's all generated. That's not in the photo. Like the photo that's above it, that's how I framed it when I took it. And yeah. it's not perfect. Like if you pixel peep, there's some weird stuff going on. It's helped in this photo that I took this with a nice camera. And so really nice bokeh in the background because of the lens I used. And boy, that did me some favors when it came to AI generation. Like, it's okay if those trees look a little weird because they're all kind of blurry and blown out in the background anyways. So Yeah, it looks like you also removed a house, I think. I, rem- right? I did. I removed actually two houses and uh, a light yeah. pole and there's a car parked. There's like a white car in the original photo. And the way she's standing, it looks like it's coming out of her head. And so I just yeah. selected it and so, told Photoshop, like, remove car. It's, boom, it's gone. It's like, that would take so much yeah. time before. Like I said, it's not perfect. I still fell back on my years of Photoshop experience to really make it what I wanted. But uh, I thought I'd bring it here because I've heard from people like, yeah, the lock screen is really useful now, but it can be a little bit, um, it can be a little bit difficult to use because a lot of photos are horizontal and this really wants them to be vertical. So, uh, so yeah, that's, I spent some time today goofing off with that and it's, it's been pretty sweet. Yeah. It looks really nice. I mean, uh, it feels like, you know, because I've never subscribed to Photoshop in a long time because I feel like Pixelmator does the job for me. Yeah. But I feel like this generative fill thing is like uh, Photoshop, at least temporarily pulling forward a bit that, mm-hmm. you know, it's doing some cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I uh, I really like this. And, and I think this is exactly the kind of thing people need to start thinking about with this new profile stuff. Or, or even just shooting pictures where the subject is too low in the image. Yeah. You know, just like if you're thinking, well, I want to turn this into a portrait image for her in my phone, then you have to just put her face in the middle, not at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been happy with this. And uh, I've got some other photos that I want to to play with, it, you know, play with what it can do. But it, the, the, in wanting to explore this, the, um, the simplest like problem to solve was I want this picture to be vertical. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and, and be able to, uh, to really get in there and see that, um, I guess really see what it could do. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've been up to. It kind of raises bigger questions about AI. Oh yeah. Um, I talk to people about this a lot because it seems like most people on AI are very, uh, separated some people are like this is the greatest thing ever and it's going to solve all our problems and other people are like this is terrible and it's going to ruin humanity um i think we don't have to answer those questions yet um but the the ai stuff 
there are tools out there using AI right now that are really useful for people who want to be productive with their technology. And I think that we should all be thinking about that right now. What's out there that we can use that help? Like Steven can use AI in Photoshop to make his pictures better. Um, we talk repeatedly on the show how AI is making voice to text dictation so much better. And just the, or the idea of grammar checkers better, like Grammarly and even some of these AI engines are doing grammar checking very well. And I think people just need to start looking at those bits of it and figuring out how to incorporate that into what they're doing day to day and, and, and just use those parts for now. And mm-hmm. then we'll see where it goes. You know, I, I think um, you should not run away from this stuff but you should treat it with healthy respect at the same time. But, yeah. But, you know, figure it out. I mean, uh, if you're worried about it ruining your job, then figure out how to use it so you can mm-hmm. show people how you can make it better at your job, not replace you, but make you better. And uh, I don't know, there's there's something to this. And, uh, and I think that's something that is really new. Like in the last year, as we head towards the end of the year, maybe that's something we need to talk about is the difference that AI has made. It's, this has been like the coming out party. It has. I mean, machine learning, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. This stuff has been around a long time. These things are not new, but suddenly they're they've gotten to a level that they're more useful. Hmm. I think so too. And and for this, like the making a photo of my wife vertical, like no ethical dilemma here, right? I took the photo. Yeah. yeah. I'm using it for myself, and it does get really complicated when it's like, what if you're a photojournalist? Like, you know, what am I, uh, can we trust images, right? There's been a lot of that talk around the new, uh, pixel eight and eight pro, which look like incredible phones, Yeah, but a lot of this is built into it now. It's like, yeah, can we trust these images? Like there's so much to, to, to talk about around that. Agreed. Agreed. And that's only going to grow the the questions and the dilemmas, but also these tools can make you more productive and, you know, the whole point of this is to use the technology to get better at life, not to let the technology take over. But anyway, yeah, this is, I guess we, we, this was a deep episode, Stephen. We went deep several times. I don't know what happened. <laughs> we did, uh, but it's fun. That, that's what feedback episodes are for. Yeah. So fun. Uh, anyway, I'm very excited because as soon as we hang up, I'm going to dig into the MPU Notion calendar. I love it. All right. Uh, We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors this week. Text Expander, Clean My Mac X, Indeed, and NetSuite. Uh, On more Power Users today, we're going to talk about My Mac Studio. Uh, That, once again, is the ad-free extended version. You can learn about that over at relay.fm slash MPU. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Have a great week.